0: like to invite you as we come to 2nd Corinthians now we're up to chapter 8 now in this book and uh, like to invite you to take a risk take a risk it's a uh, it's a generosity risk it's risking Jesus like generosity and the reason I'm using the word risk today is because generosity as followers of Jesus is as we'll see part of our DNA but it can still be tough it can still feel risky and we can still be a little on our side a little clutchy it's like the little girl um, she went on into children's church her, her parents gave her two quarters and they said in the offering in children's church you can put one quarter in and you can keep the other quarter and buy something on the way home and so she was just a happy little camper she goes darting across the lobby and and uh, unfortunately one of the quarters falls out of her hand rolls over the carpet and under one of the pieces of furniture in the lobby and, and so she, she, she gets down and of course it's beyond her reach and, and she gets down and she peers under the, under the furniture and she could be heard saying, Jesus, if you want your quarterback, I'm gonna need a miracle. <laughs> so such is the way generosity falls for us sometimes. But the reason this subject comes up at the beginning of chapter eight is that Paul now changes the subject from what he's been talking about in this letter. and he goes to an issue he's discussed with them in the past, and that is that he is receiving a financial offering, not just a spiritual, not just not just people to pray for the church back in Jerusalem, but he Corinth is in southern Greece and and he he and he that that, that area of, of present-day Turkey and Greece, he's been traveling, he's been starting churches, and he has been raising money from these churches to help the struggling church, the mother church back, in, back in, in Jerusalem. This would be money for food, this would be money to supply ministry resources for them. It's the mother church and they've been struggling. There's been a famine, we know that historically, that's touched that part of the world and, and there's been excessive persecution of the church in Jerusalem and and so he's raising funds if that's not offensive to us he's actually raising funds that that he would not keep for himself in fact Paul was very scrupulous about this. He was a tent maker by trade so that he could always support himself. He made this a matter of almost personal pride, that he didn't depend on people giving him money. He was not a money grunging, manipulating preacher. In fact, he was so afraid of that reputation that he that he made sure he always supported himself. But he was not ashamed to raise money for people who were starving and for Jesus church that were struggling. And so, this is what he's doing. And so, in verse 1, he says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So, Corinth is in southern Greece. Macedonia were the churches in northern Greece. Some of these churches, we have New Testament letters to them, like Philippi and Philippians and Thessalonians. And he said, those churches, he said, I want want you to know about the grace that God has given those Macedonian churches because, verse 2, in the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That that has to be the biggest head-scratcher of a verse anywhere in the New Testament. He said, "There." In the midst of a trial, life wasn't easy for them either there in northern Greece. Unemployment was high. They didn't have a lot, but their joy, their overflowing joy, plus their extreme poverty resulted in me giving them a pass on them having to give anything. And we'll find out that Paul actually tried to give them a pass, given their circumstances remember second grade addition problems oh the horror so you take one number and then you go plus and put another number underneath it and then you draw a line and then you write the sum on the bottom right such and such plus such and such, two plus three equals five if we would if we would look at this verse like a second grade math problem it would look like this joy plus poverty equals, stunningly, generosity. How could poverty plus anything equal generosity? How could this be? Well, he gives us the key in verse 9, because these in northern Greece, these were churches whose lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ. And he says to them in verse 9, for you know the grace The grace, that's God's self-giving nature. The grace, the lavishness of Jesus' forgiveness, life, help, strength of his presence that we sang about today. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, he was God in heaven, he was rich, he, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That is the Jesus way. That is the Jesus DNA. In fact, he's talking about the cross of Jesus, where Jesus, who, who sat on the throne of the universe, he, he became a human being and stripped of everything hanging on that cross. He gave up everything so that you and I could be transformed and forgiven and saved and filled with his resurrection spirit I mean through his poverty we became rich and Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus did it he stayed on that cross for the joy that was set before him the joy of knowing you and me I can't imagine that the joy of imparting his life to the people he created and having a living church for the joy set before him he experienced the poverty of the cross and here Those two aspects of the cross, Jesus' joy in the possibility of a relationship with you and me and his poverty being stripped of everything, that's that's the cross, joy and poverty. And and he's saying those churches up in northern Greece, they have that DNA. They, They had overwhelming joy. They had the joy of the Lord in their lives and they were pretty poor too. But just like the miracle of the cross, something of generosity poured out of them. J. Kim said this, made in Jesus' image or in God's image, human beings are in fact hardwired to be generous because we're created by, in the image of a generous God, and that God became poor so that he could lavish out on everyone else his grace and his generosity. And if we're in his image, if his spirit is living in us, you and I, in spite of that clutchy tendency we all have, Uh, You and I were really hardwired for generosity, that this this is our original design as human beings and part of our fulfillment as human beings as we give ourselves to generosity. I'm not talking about a church budget today, by the way. Maybe you're going, oh, man, I came to church, and they're talking about money. I'm, I'm talking about the DNA of Jesus here. I'm happy to say that we're ahead of budget in our church life i'm not doing this because there's a financial crisis i'm doing this because i think we preached on chapter seven last time and it's chapter eight this time and in fact we're ahead of budget and so we're giving away as a church more than we ever have in any years recently that i've seen this has to do with the fact that he be who is rich became poor for our sakes so we through his poverty could be made rich. And with that DNA, we're hardwired spiritually to be generous ourselves. So I want to invite you to take the risk with me this morning. It's a journey to Jesus-like generosity. And fortunately, Paul doesn't leave us in the dark. He gives us that head-scratcher. How could joy plus poverty equal generosity? Well, he's going to explain how that can be now. And there's five steps. I'm going to go through them fast if you're taking notes. But first of all, he says we're going to need to defy you're going to need to defy your selfishness. I'm sorry about that, but, but because we're fallen, because the image of God in us is marred, um, we want to be clutchy instead. Of, we want to hold it like this, closed fist, instead of open-handed. One of our five core values as a church is to be open-handed, but we want to go the other way because of what we call selfishness. And so verse 3, look what he says. Entirely on their own. Speaking of these churches in northern Greece who had joy plus poverty and they became generous. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. In other words, Paul was going to give them a pass. He saw unemployment was high. They didn't have very much. He said, I know I'm trying to collect this offering and, and I can just hear him saying, but you know, I realize you guys can't give much. I'll give you a pass here. And he said, they would hear none of it. In fact, they literally Begged us to be, to be able to give something away to the church in Jerusalem, even though they, did, they hardly had anything. They begged, they earnestly pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's pe- pe- people. Greed takes us the other way. And let's never underestimate, let's never underestimate how irrational and Powerful greed can be in our lives. Have you been following this college admission scandal that's going on right now in our country, and it's involving all these Hollywood stars who lied and cheated and paid paid, paid administrators off to get their kids into that that particular school? Lori Laughlin and her husband uh, were part of that scandal. They were just recently uh, sentenced and imprisoned for it. and during their sentencing, listen to what a judge said. To Lori Laughlin. here you are, an admired, successful, professional actor with a long-lasting marriage, two apparently healthy, resilient children, more money than you could possibly need, a beautiful home in Southern California, a fairy tale life you've had. Yet you stand before me, a convicted felon. And for what? For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. Greed is... R- It is powerful and it's irrational. In fact, in several of his other letters, Paul said greed is equivalent to idol worship. I much prefer living a life that's marked by what Don Wildman describes. He said, at the very heart of the Christian gospel is a cross. It's a symbol of suffering and sacrifice, of hurt and pain and humiliation and rejection. And then get this, I want no part of the Christian message which does not call me to involvement, which requires of me no sacrifice. I don't want that. I don't want a Christian message that requires of me no sacrifice, that, that, that never takes comfort away from me. I don't want that. That's inconsistent with the gospel of Christ. And that requires of me less than the very best that I have to give. I mean, what happened to us in the Western church where we're so preoccupied with our rights no matter what might happen to anybody else and and we just become consumers of everything we want and keeps us comfortable? How far have we gotten from the gospel of Jesus Christ that has as its center the God who was rich became poor for our sake that we through his poverty might become rich? And at some point, we have to defy our greed. We have to defy... Our selfishness that's what this church did they didn't have much in the first place but they said so what we're not going to be greedy for what we have they begged us for the opportunity to give and then you got to decide you have to decide who you're going to serve who are you serving and then, so in the next verse verse 5 that Paul gets to that he said, he said how could how come a church that was so poor be so generous he says well they exceeded our expectations They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. See, God doesn't want your money first. He wants your heart and your life. And then when you're first given to the Lord, then you will be just generous and given to the things that are close to God's heart. And this is how it goes. Because Jesus said that money almost has God-like status. He said... You can't money is so powerful over your life potentially that you cannot serve me and money at the same time. He doesn't say that about anything else. Not wrong to have money. It's wrong to love money to the degree that we serve money instead of serving God. But Jesus gave money almost God like status. He said, He said it's gonna be one or the other. It's gonna be the cross or the dollar sign. It's gonna be one or the other. And you just need to make that decision. He said those churches up north, they, they they made a decision that they're not serving money, they're serving me. They gave their lives first, first to the Lord. See, it strikes me that Jesus is not as attached to our possessions as we are. What a thought. You know, oh, but my, these things I value so much. There may even be, maybe some ways, a sense that this is, God blessed me with a good job, so I got, I have these possessions. You know what? Jesus isn't attached to them like you are. In fact, instead, Jesus is concerned about the power of our possessions over us. He's concerned about how much power what we possess, and I'm grateful for what I possess, but I, but I don't want what I possess to be telling me what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Because Jesus is the only person who should be doing that in my life. Richard Stearns, he wrote a few years ago a book called A Hole in the Gospel. It's a strange title, but he says back in 1987, there was a day when the stock market crashed in 1987. It was the worst stock market crash, one-day crash, since 1929, which started the Great Depression. And he says, in 1987, the largest single stock market crash since 1929 took place, and in one day, he writes, my wife Renee and I lost more than a third of our life savings and the money that we had set apart for our kids' college education. And that he goes on to say that, that they panicked and they sold at the bottom, which turned out to be the worst thing they could have done. He said, I was just consumed with anguish over our lost money, and it really showed. In fact, one night, When I was burning the midnight oil, worrying about our finances, Renee came and sat beside me. Honey, she said, this thing is consuming you in an unhealthy way. It's only money. Look, we have our marriage, our health, our friends, our children, a good income. So so much we have to be thankful for. You need, Renee said to her husband, you need to let go of this and trust God. And, and I responded that, yeah, but I feel responsible for our family. And and, and, and honey, you just don't get it. <laughs> it's my job to worry about things like this, he said to his wife. So she suggested we pray about it, a thought that had never entered my mind, he said. So we ended up praying. At the end of prayer, and I'm, I'm quoting as he wrote this story, at the end of the prayer, to my bewilderment, Renee said, Now I think we ought to get out the checkbook and write some big checks to our church and the ministries we support. We need to show God that we know this is his money and not ours. Well, I was flabbergasted, he writes, at the audacity of this suggestion. But in my heart, I knew she was right. So that night, we wrote some sizable checks put them in the envelopes, addressed to various ministries, and sealed them. And that's when I felt the wave of relief. We had broken the spell that money had cast over me. I actually felt reckless and giddy, he writes. God, please catch us, because we just took a crazy leap of faith. But having already lost a third of their fortunes, they defied the love and dependence on money by giving it away. And he said, suddenly I was free from the spell that money had cast over me. That's why you have to decide who you're serving and not let money be the answer to that question. Who am I serving? And then determined to pursue giving excellence. That's the next step. Because after saying to them uh, that to the Corinthians, that those churches up north, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. They begged us for the privilege of giving. They defied their greed. And, and they they and they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. And then and then the next step would be to say, you know, I hear about excellence everywhere i go and paul was probably 2000 years ahead of his time probably the corporation you work for has excellence as one of its core values probably the school you attend has excellence as one of its core values i mean pursuing excellence that book changed our culture f- 3 or 4 decades ago i mean excellence we pursue excellence that's what we we don't want to be sloppy about anything we do pursue excellence and this church Cor- corinth it has problems but it, it was pretty amazing at some things, spiritual gifts and, 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 the, and the way they loved each other and things and their faith, their simple faith. And so verse 7, he said, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, um, so some of the expression of the spiritual gifts, the way you talk, the way you trust Jesus, uh, and, and, and in your earnestness, your sincerity, you just excel there, and, and in love, You excel, that's the love that we kindled in you through the gospel. I mean, you're doing well in those areas. Would you just add one more thing? Would you add to your giving the ethic of excellence? Would you also pursue excellence there? So see that, since you excel in everything, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So that means it starts somewhere. I don't know where you are today, But the DNA of Jesus wants to make you not reckless, but he wants to make you extravagantly generous with your time and your money and your heart to the world that Jesus loves, to the disenfranchised, to the needy, to the hungry, to the spiritual hungry who will never hear the gospel unless we give our lives away, to the physically hungry, to to the needs in our culture. And it's got to start somewhere. It does bother me. Even here at Central uh, years ago, I, uh, someone we had a certain speaker who talked about giving to a social cause and it was wonderful. And, and she said to me after the service, I ran into her and she said, in an unguarded moment, she said, you know, I, I never give anything away. I never respond to any of these things. But today it got to my heart, whatever the cause was, it got to my heart. And so she let go of a little bit, and actually gave it away. I want to tell you, that's not pursuing excellence in your generosity. That's being basically stingy unless God miraculously prized something out of my fist every once in a while. I want to tell you, this is the DNA of Jesus. And we, we want to pursue excellence. But maybe you are there right now. And, and, and that's your starting point. Or maybe you've been very generous. Uh, my wife and I probably are giving away more than we've ever given away. And we've been doing this for years and we keep trying to grow our giving because you know what, uh, you know, do we need, there's times we put off purchases of furniture so that we could give away to a building program at our church, we've, we've done all these, and I don't say that, I don't say, I'm always self-conscious when I say that, but I, I do frequently mention, in this area especially, I I do put my money where my mouth is. The last thing I want to be is a money-grunging, manipulative pastor who's just trying to get more for me. I don't determine my salary in the first place. Our elected board determines that. And we give a lot of our salary away because I want to excel at this grace of giving before Jesus comes back again. I want to make a difference. I want to leave a footprint in our world. And so we do this And uh, I wanna encourage you to do that. And, you know, there's a standard to start with, and it may sound like a great risk, but in the Bible you have the principle of the 10th. I love how my pastor friend Rob Ketterling puts it. Hearts touched by God respond with a 10th. It's called the tithe. And the tithe to to the storehouse, to the local church where world changers are nurtured. And if you're not there, that might be your next step towards giving excellence. And I wanna challenge you, to take the risk and beginning to tithe and uh, especially when you're adult and you have more it's really really tough there are there are statistics urban studies that show over the last 10 years that when the stock market has increased by 10 percent increasing many people's net worth household worth that charitable giving has dropped 5 percent in our country because there's this myth that that that, that If I have more, I can give more. I want to tell you, my experience and the experience of many people I know is that the more you have, the harder it is to let go of it. That's just the way it is. So you've got to build. So we decided, Sandy and I, with our girls, that when they were young, like seven years old, you know, our two daughters, we would teach them about this. So they would get, oh, let's say $10 a month for a chore or for their their allowance. So we'd give four envelopes to them because we wanted to set the bar. And the first envelope said the Lord's tithe, 10%. So we would put $1, right? They're getting $10, 10% is $1. So we put $1 in that envelope. They get to the next envelope and the pain is honestly increasing (laughs) in a seven-year-old's heart. And it's the missionaries. And Sandy and I made a commitment years and years ago that, that we would give our tithe to our church family and, and, and to those obligations, but then we would give above. And we would do much more right from the beginning than, than 5%, but, but we wanted to start our girls at at least a certain level. So 5% was the missionaries. So on $10, that's 50 cents, right? So $1 in the Lord's tithe envelope, 50 cents in the missionary envelope. The next envelope was my savings because the worst reason to spend money is just because you have it. That's the worst reason on the earth to spend money, just because I have it. No, you ought to manage it. You ought to say no to yourself sometimes and prepare for the future. So so 10%, right? 10% went in. So another dollar went into that. That left how much money? You math majors? $7.50, which went into the beloved envelope that simply said spending on it spending so they still had seven dollars and fifty cents to spend because right from even a young age we wanted them to get on the journey of not just mediocrity in giving not just casualness not that not just only when god just prized my fingers open will i even part with a penny but we wanted excellence in giving to mark their lives and then don't settle for good intentions don't settle for good intentions. That's the fourth step. And this is where he goes next. Because good intentions are such a big enemy. We feel, well, oh, God will reward me for my sincerity. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. I never do anything, but I want to make a difference. And, and this is where Paul actually goes next, verse 10. Here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. He's still talking about the offering for the church in Jerusalem. Here's my judgment. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. I mean, Corinth, you actually started giving before those churches up in Macedonia did. But you've kind of got bogged down in in your good intentions, and you haven't finished what you started. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it will be matched by your completion of it. Just do it, you say, according to your means. And, you know we have all kinds of excuses, like well I'm not the giving type, like that person I described. You know I never give anything, you know unless something exceptionally moves me. You know and you may just self-identify. You're just not a generous person. You're not a giving type. And yet the spirit of the generous God's rewiring your whole spiritual DNA. And and but but sometimes you know we just write ourselves off. And you know well I want as long as it's other people's ministry, as long as it's other people's money. Um, you know, I do want that cause to advance as long as it's just other people's money. Or I'll give when I have more. I just talked about that. What a myth that is. Or I can't give enough. This is one I wrestled with. I can't give enough to make a difference. So why should I give in the first place? And I I fought this as a student where I was making almost no money. Some of you have heard me tell this story several times of my last $8 where I was sitting in a church service at a little church right by the University of Minnesota campus when I was a student there. And, and a missionary like Bill Moore got up and, and, and he preached. And then the pastor got up and said, we're gonna take an offering for this missionary. Now, I was broke except for $8. And I sort of made the mistake of taking my last $8 to church. Don't do that. <laughs> because when he said, we're gonna take an announcement I heard the words, we're going to take an offering for this missionary. I heard the words, I want you to put your last $8 in the offering plate for this missionary. And the first words that went through my mind were, I rebuke that thought. (laughs) The second words that went through my mind were exactly this, that I can't give enough to make a difference thing. I looked around. There weren't quite this many people there, but there was enough that I thought, there's going to be enough in this offering with what other people give, that that missionary will not notice plus or minus $8. I mean, my offering won't make enough. And just to make sure God got the point, I went global on him. And I say, Lord, in fact, your worldwide missionary enterprise will not exactly rise and fall on my $8. And I can't believe I said this. And besides, Lord, I need that $8 more than you do. And, of course, this had nothing to do with what God needed. It had everything to do with what was happening in my heart. I'll never forget that moment. Yes, I put my last $8 in, and that'll be chapter 9. I have no idea the next chapter. Paul will give us the other side of that equation. I have no, but he has never stopped resourcing so that I could give more since that day. I don't even know how, how I bought toothpaste the next week, except that God began just to open up. Well, that's next week, but you know what? It's a lot. So, you know what? The issue is not that you can't give enough to make a difference. The issue is what's happening in your heart. And are you... The issue is not a church budget. The issue is not whether somebody really made you emotional when they presented a social cause or an evangelism cause. The issue is what's going on in your heart. And are you going to be happy just living... Go into your grave, only living with good intentions and never really making a difference. So that's why the end of it all is do something. I want to encourage you. Some of you, I can just encourage you to have a conversation. If you're married, have a conversation with your spouse this week. If you're a student, look at your budget. I, I just felt it was important to do this when I had almost no money. I mean, this was part of the spiritual fabric of Jesus working in me and keeping my heart centered on his priorities. If it never comes to what Jesus gave almost godlike status to, if we say money's off limits, don't preacher, don't ever talk about money. I don't ever want to hear about money at, at church. I don't want to ever be guilty about money. I mean, then you have missed what it is to walk with Jesus in part. I mean, if he doesn't get your money, he probably's not lord of your life. That's just what he's saying here. And so we get past our good intentions and we do something. Maybe it's to start tithing. Maybe you're a tither. And, We've just been through two weeks with our global footprint missions focus. What great messages from Mark Hausfeld and Pastor Steve down here the last two weeks. What a great thing we heard about building churches within walking distance of every African on the continent. I mean, what an opportunity to actually tangibly do something. I give my tithes by recurring giving to the church, by the way. On our staff, our pastors get paid on the 15th and 30th of every month. So on the 15th, the first time in the month, I have our tithes just taken out of my checking account. And I like the recurring giving I never miss and it gives me an opportunity to pray, play extra to cover the credit card fees and otherwise the church budgets for that. Maybe it's setting up recurring giving this week, but maybe it's giving to that charity, and that cause that God's been speaking to you about giving. Maybe it's about helping a hungry person. And just, just letting it go and you know, and, well, does that, what good's that going to do? Well, just become a generous person and take another step towards excellence, to just start letting go, and it'll transform is one of the things that can change your life. I believe the principle of generosity is probably the most powerful principle in all of Scripture. and it's rooted in the cross, where we find joy and poverty that resulted in immense, lavish generosity. Hallelujah for that. Smile, at me. I need you to smile at me really badly right now. I need you to smile at me, thank you. The church budget's fine, this is about your heart. This is about who's running your life, amen. And this is about changing the world while we have a chance, as we let go. Will you stand with me? Worship team, if you come, just pray for a moment and we're gonna sing close with a great hymn. Father, thank you for this day. And we just say yes to you one more time. If our hearts aren't right with you, Jesus, uh, forgive us for going our own way and living our own lives and holding everything to ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, if you freely gave everything for me to wash my sins away. I say yes to you. Maybe that's some of our prayer this morning. Others of us, Lord, we've become pretty mediocre about giving and generousness and how we're investing our lives while we still have time and opportunity. But we just pray that you'll overwhelm us with that vision of Jesus on the cross, becoming poor for our sakes so that we could become rich in every way, rich with salvation, forgiveness, hope, rich with your resurrection spirit changing our lives, rich with deliverance from habits and, and, and the ability to care for the relationships in our lives, rich with everything that comes because of what you gave up on the cross for us. And I pray that you just make us rich, Lord. And yet, and yet, Lord, we will not take that without saying, make us more like you. And help us to take up the risk. This week of Jesus of Jesus-like generosity. Show us what that means. Lord, with our checkbooks, with online giving, with conversations with important people in our lives that we share finances with, help us to take the risk, we pray, so that we can live out your life more than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.